Feed the Fam Podcast. Welcome back. Episode three. I'm here with Jock Londell from St. Mary's College, second year pro. Jock, talk a little bit about your transition from college into the professional ranks overseas and some of the things that you've seen in your short career as a pro. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, as you come out of college, they kind of, you know, you're dealing with a lot of amateur stuff, so you're not really dealing with the, the likes of money and distractions and, you know, all the partying scene of a big city, especially for, for, for me and you, like, I mean, you know how it is out at St. Mary's and in a quiet little town where there's not really much going on except for what we had going on in school and uh, and just like the small town out, out around us. So for the most part, like coming out of that kind of situation where everything's pretty mellow and, you know, we, we seem to uh, just have nothing on our plates but, you know, basketball and a little bit of school here or there, uh, like going from that when you're surrounded by your boys and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're out in the thick of this pro lifestyle with guys on your team who are 33, 35 years old, and you're in a big city overseas. Uh, for me, it was in Belgrade, which is like a renowned party city and stuff like that. Like, you go from a from a comfortable situation to, like, not knowing what the hell's going on. Like, I, I, I just remember I got there, I stepped off that plane. There was two guys, was the manager and the general manager. They met me at the airport, drove me for dinner, and then, like, they just, like, we got we got to dinner and they were just like, all right, go, like, here's your apartment, do your own thing. And so, the first, I mean, I just remember the first night, like, the first night I was there, I, like, I've never felt more alone. I had, I, I rocked up to an apartment, I didn't have blankets or sheets or anything with me because I had no idea that, like, you know, I thought that they would, like, provide me with a fully furnished place. So I just remember rocking up, and that first night, like, I had no towels, no blankets, nothing, and it was just, like, just the most... nothing, like, just out there by yourself with nothing. But by yourself, nothing, not, like, no one's helping you, like, you got to figure it all out on your own, so, like, as you kind of do that, like, for me, I started recording, recording like, my experiences straight away, like, I, I told you about the other day, but, like, it's just, like, you're thrown out into the world as, like, a... a tw- I was 22. 22 years old like and you know I've, been, I've lived away from home for a long time but that was like the least amount of help that i've ever gotten in my life and so they just put yeah. me in my apartment and they said okay tomorrow we'll be here at four o'clock to pick you up for practice you know they gave you a car so that they were they just like drove to my apartment but up until that point i had no friends out there like no one on the ground to help me and it, i was just completely alone like figuring this thing out for myself and it's like at that point in time, like, you know, payment, you know how it is, like payments in Europe are so sporadic. You never really know when you're going to get paid despite what your contract says. So I was out there with no money. Like, luckily come from a nice family. So my dad was able to help me out for a little bit, but I didn't get my first paycheck until like a month into the season. So I was like, how the hell are these guys who like come from, you know, whatever background who might not be financially stable or have any money, how do they survive their rookie year? when no one's yeah. helping them, like, set, set up their financials, no one's helping them, like, settle into a city. So I kind of got into that city, and I was just like, holy crap, like, this professional life is no joke. Like, you, you're really fending for yourself every single day. And, yeah. like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy experience. That, those, first, those first few months were the, lo- the lowest I've ever been as, like, a person. 
like trying to figure my way through that lifestyle and like I always say it like the isolation of the professional lifestyle is by far the hardest thing like you'll ever have to deal with like that whole experience of just like going to practice having no friends a lot of my my Serbian teammates at the time didn't speak English great like you're you're in this country by yourself where like you have no no common ground with any of these people and you come from such different backgrounds that like like it's crazy it's oh man it's crazy and that was that was a lot different for you right I mean you had four or five Australian teammates at St. Mary's at one time every year that you could relate to on top of there was no language barrier and then you go to Serbia and it's just like a completely different world out there and the fanatics are crazy like partisan fans are nuts they're notorious for being crazy out there right yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, I mean, as you said, like, St. Mary's was super relaxed for me because I knew going in that I was already going to have Australians who I'd played with and who I already knew. So, like, there was there was no there was no problem with me, like, fitting into that kind of situation. And then St. Mary's makes you feel like you're a part of a family. Like, like you you know, there's, there's, a little, there's tough moments in that, in that freshman year when you're trying to work your way into the system. And, you know, I didn't play out, out the year we played together. I hardly played at all. But, like, that's how it is. And, like, it's always kind of going to be like that when you move into a new situation. But when you get out there and you have no comfortable lifestyle, like as a part of like your daily routine, like it's, it's a different ball game. So I had, I had a couple of, I had Marcus Page who played in North Carolina uh, on my team, but he had a, he, he like, he, he's got a wife and that was his first year in Europe as well. So like he's out there, but he's got a, he's already got a family. So like, you know, I'd say, Hey Marcus, like, why don't we go, grab some food after practice something like that he's like nah bro sorry like i gotta go home and call the wife or like you know what i mean so like you're you're a bunch you're around a bunch of like grown-ass men at that point who have families and kids and like i mean you're not you're not going to call him up and be like hey like why don't we go get some food and he's like yeah okay let me go let me go grab my family and five kids it's like that okay well like that's that's still acceptable but it's just a different like from college when you're around your boys and you're always just going out and like shooting, like talking crap and like doing your thing, like like it's just a different environment and like it's it's such an adjustment that first year. Like I didn't really feel like settled in until like probably probably like a quarter of the way through my Zalgiris in my second year because like that first year was oh my, like crazy. Like the stories I've got from that thing are just ridiculous. And as you said, like my two situations that I've been in now are probably two of the most like like there's so much pressure on you to perform kind of situations because Lithuania and Serbia, they're just like, they're uh, like, they're, they're the basketball countries. Like basketball is their life in those countries. So like, yeah. you, know, you go to Serbia, the first game we walk out on the court and we're rolling like, we're rolling like 10,000 deep in the stands, but it's not like a college 10,000 where everyone's just like drunk, having a good time. Like these guys are like 10,000 deep. Like if you don't win, we're going to come find you and like, then we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Like it's like, there's a lot of pressure on those situations. And so, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the scary stories that I had was we playing against Red Star, who's our, who's our Belgrade rivals. And uh, like, we finished this game. Uh, it's And at the time, like you're not allowed both fans in the stadium because people have like, I mean, they will just like kill each other during like when they used to let two fan bases in, they would just like, they would just go at each other in the stand. So it was, it got too out of hand. So now they only let one fan basis in, but it was our fans that were in the stadium at the time. 
we play this game against Red Star, who are really good, and we, we had a terrible start to the season until we got our new coach who kind of sorted us out. But, you know, we're having this game. I come out, like, playing great, like probably my best game of the season at that point, and uh, like, we lose. But I've, like, I've had, like, I had, like, 19 and 10, like, which is great for Europe, as you know. I'm feeling real good about myself, but, like, we lost, so I was like, okay, well, whatever. But I'm about to walk out of the stadium, and, you know, my boy's standing at the door, and he's like, you know, just, like, let the fans disperse a little bit. Like, they'll all be really pissed off. And I was just, like, in the back of my head, I was like, man, whatever. Like, I just had a good game. Like, no one's going to say anything to me. Like, we lost, but, like, I felt like I was in, like, a reasonable position to just, like, walk to my car. So I start walking out, I start getting all these dirty looks, and I'm like, okay, like, I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable right now. I start getting, like, just walking through these crowds, and, like, you know, you hear, the, like, standard swear words or whatever, but, you know, I get up to, like, this, there's, like, three levels of our parking our parking lot. I get to the second level, my car's at the third level or something, and, like, this guy walks up to me with his hand, like, tucked into his jacket, like he's, like he's holding something inside his jacket, and he starts just, like, yelling at me and yelling at me, and I'm just like, all right, this is, like, wild. This is one of my fans all of a sudden just, like, you know, pulls his hand out and, you know, there's a there's a gun there and then people start, like, we got those ride shield police, so then they start yelling at him and he, like, he bounces, he runs away. But, like, that was, like, the first experience I had that I was, like, okay, like, like, the fan bases out here are really, like, live or die for this thing. And, like, whilst that was, like, a crazy experience for me because, like, I'd never really dealt with that, uh, like, I... I kind of, like, started, like, understanding that whole situation and, like, started thriving off it because, like, like that makes you really, like, like, it wrapped, I got, I got super wrapped up in that environment. So, whilst it's, like, it's super crazy being amongst that whole, like, live or die, like, fan basis kind of thing, and, like, it can be super intimidating if you're not cut out for it. Like, it's also, like, it gives you something extra to fight for, and, like, I really enjoy that kind of stuff, hence why I chose to go to Zalgiris my second season, because... I heard it's 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 like that. So yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. That's crazy, brother. Like the fact that they're willing to go that far into it just for a game. I mean, it's deeper than that at that point. Like whenever yeah. I think about Belgrade, I've never been there personally, but having played overseas, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, I think about Partisan, I think about Red Star, and there's only a few countries in the world where basketball can rival soccer you know and it's like china lithuania the philippines and serbia it's it's really crazy to think about um how would you say that playing for zalgiris has been different whether better or worse from your time in serbia have you had experiences like the one that you dealt with with that crazy fan Mm, not no you know what i've Serbia was like a negative crazy. Well, not a negative crazy because I do love those fans and I had a hell of a year there. Like, that was, as tough as it was, I really enjoyed it. But, like, Zalgiris is a lot, like, there's a lot of pressure on you still. Like, the fans are 16, like, you know, we pack out stadiums every single night. But, you know, there's a lot more, like, positive, you know, like, one one of the big things that, like, we all look at nowadays is social media, right? So, you know, I used to, I used to get death threats on my social media all the time in Serbia. Like, it was just like a standard after game if we lose type thing. But in Lithuania, it's the complete opposite. It's like, we still believe in you, blah, blah, blah. So in terms of the environment that I was in in Lithuania, like, it was for sure a lot more healthy, I'd say. But, like, the passion the passion is they're, they're equal. Like, 
you feel you feel their presence every night. You feel their presence walking around the city. Like there's always people coming up to you and like like giving you advice, which is crazy, right? Like I would, as a professional athlete, I would never expect that I'd have random fans walk up to me in the street and be like, "Yo, you got to start doing this better." But like, and be right as well. Like these guys are right, which is the craziest thing. So like they know what they're talking about. But uh, I would just say that the Zalgiris situation across the board was just far more professional uh i think that you know serbia like partisan has kind of been an up and down thing of like financials and getting their management right and then bringing in a new coach who's kind of like pushing them in the right direction and so i was i was in the rebuilding process of all that and so there was a lot of unprofessional things going on like my departing situation but once i got to zalgiris who's like solidified themselves as like a top eight team in europe all the time there's no rebuilding going on. They're just consistently winning. Uh, then I was like, I, I felt like I was in like a NBA-esque situation where, you know, they have they have great uh, weight rooms and all that kind of stuff. The facilities are amazing. You know, the coaching staff are great, uh, and it just felt like a bunch of professionals. In Partizan, there was a little bit of immaturity about the whole thing, but at the same time, you know, they were they were still good. Yeah. You mentioned the NBA. Um, I don't think people really understand the kind of work that you put in in college. Like, I mean, I'm talking when you were on your visit, I still remember Bennett asking me what I thought. <laughs> you, you remember this? He's like, yeah, you came sorry. in, you're overweight. I mean, you had like the sloppy haircut, the, the blonde curls. This guy, he was just a, a, a sloppy red. Oh, he was just a big slop. He's like, what do you think? And I'm like, nah, that's not it. You know, we can get a we can get a better <laughs> one. Um, fast forward, he chose right. You know, you came in and like you said, that first year, you got like two points a game. And I remember specifically talking yeah. to you those late nights in the gym, like, just stay with it. Your time is coming. And for you to make the jumps that you did, it was pretty incremental. I mean, you were like two points a game, eight points a game, 17 points a game, and then senior year. 21 and 10 every night and no NBA. It's yeah. like, how have you wrapped yeah. your head around the fact that you know you're good enough to play at that level? And, you know, you've had you've had people like Popovich say that he thinks you could be a really good NBA player. How, what keeps you going knowing mm-hmm. you're good enough to get a crack and you're just waiting for that opportunity? I don't really know, man. Like, I just think that I think that I'm obsessed with competitiveness. Like, I mean, my my family hate like I'm I'm home right now for potentially seven months. My family like whilst they love me, they're hating having me around because every single time that there's a family event going on, like I'm trying I'm trying to kill these guys. Like I just want to win everything so I can talk shit. Like for me, it's I feed I feed off beating people, and I feed off the competitiveness of just like life in general. Like I couldn't work a desk job ever just because I would get bored. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, you get it, right? Like, there's an obsession that comes with this job. And no matter where I am, like, if it's just the end of season and we're going into off-season, like, I try. Like, I really, really try to sit down and do nothing for a couple, like, days or weeks just to, like, let my body re, like, recoup and regenerate. But I physically cannot do it. So I think it's just the hunger of competitiveness that just keeps me motivated to keep going and, at the end of the day, I've always said this, 
I want to play against the best people in the world because every single time that I've come close to this thing, and it's a consistent, it's it's a consistent theme in my life, and I'm sure in a lot of other people's lives. But every single time that I feel like I'm out of position, like last off season, for example, where I was killing in the NBA summer league, and like I was beating all the top ten draft picks, I was doing all that stuff. But everyone was always like, nah, like picking out little facets of my game where they just didn't think I could translate. And so I was like, I, I feed off that stuff to the point where it's like, okay, well, like I keep showing you guys up, but you keep like saying that I'm wrong. And I just, I, like, I'm obsessed with just proving those guys wrong because at the end of the day, these people have control over our professions. And like that really infuriates me because I'm consistently beating guys who have been in the NBA who have, who are, you know, are looked at as, like, high lottery picks, who are doing all that stuff. So, for me, that's the drive is just – and it's the same for so many people, and it might be a cliche, but it's, like, it's really a fact. Like, I'm just obsessed with proving people wrong. And so, when I finally got the opportunity to play for my country, and now I'm not playing against, like, scrubs or first-year guys in the NBA or anything like that. Like, I'm playing against seasoned veterans, going up against all-stars, like, you know, Donovan Mitchell – you know, uh, Jason Tatum, all those guys in the NBA, uh, in the in the Boomers campaign against USA and Australia, and I'm putting up 11 and 10 or whatever it was, and you know, proving myself against these guys. And all of a sudden, people's heads start to turn. And they're like, okay, like maybe this guy can actually play. But like, still at that point, like I feel like I have so much more to prove, and also so much more to give because on that team, um, incredible experience like loved my role and everything like that but I was a first year guy playing against a playing behind you know a whole bunch of dudes and I don't even think I was probably a top eight option at the time like I was just out there hustling doing my job and I was just loving it like it's it's the funnest basketball I've ever played but I really didn't feel like I I, I showed everything that I could give because like I've been that go-to piece for the past few years yeah. but for me it's the hunger of competitiveness you know, and proven people wrong consistently. And I just, I live for that experience. But going back to St. Mary's, and I've never, I mean, I don't, I don't even remember if we've spoken about this. One, I've got like three people in my profession or life, basketball career, that I feel like have had like a real positive impact and like, in, in like, uh, pushing me to where I am now. Marty Clark, of course, uh, my guy Simon Giovanni from out here, and you were actually another one because I remember the, f I think it was the one of the first open gyms after I'd signed, and we came in, we were playing open gym, and I don't remember what happened. Maybe I was playing defense or offense. I can't really remember, but I got knocked to the ground on a play, and Garrett Jackson, I might have been defend, I might have been like contesting one of his shots or something. I got knocked to the ground, and he goes to stick his hand out, and you grabbed G's hand, and you said, nah, leave this bitch on the ground, and started running up the court. <laughs> and that's, like, one of the situations where I was like, okay, like, you're really in this, like, by yourself at the end of the day. Like, you got teammates and stuff, but that was one of the situations which toughened me right up. Like, right away, I was like, okay, like, whilst we got boys out here and we got friends out here, like, you have to stick up for yourself and fight for everything. And I'm not even kidding. That is one of the stories that has stuck to me. Yeah, today. that's real, man. I've seen I've seen the maturation of Jock Londell. I mean, I remember joking with you at the volleyball game about how I was going to start doing the freshman hazing and stuff like that. And I saw it then. You're like, no, I'm not having it. I'm, I'm not going for that. I wasn't, man. I, 
Nope, nope. And people have tried doing it to me as well. Like even in this in this uh, in this boomers campaign, all those guys out there were trying to do it to me a little bit. Uh, and whilst I whilst I pick my battles, like there's, I just I don't really buy into that stuff because I've been a part of the whole. You know, especially in my in my high school, we had you know we had hazing and stuff, and like some of the some of that hazing was was crazy. Like that stuff's too much. But I've been a part of it, and I just don't go for it anymore. Like I think that you know, there's so many other ways that you can initiate someone into that stuff. That I was just trying to prove my worth, and I mean, that's like the biggest thing, right? Is like you got really, you just got to prove to everyone that you're a man and that you're not going to oh, take. Oh, for sure. Shit, I mean, we never did any hazing, but for me, yeah. it was just fun to see. That if I joked about it, I could get that rise out of you. I mean, that was one of the things to me that really <laughs> gained respect. It's like, how far are you willing to go to show somebody that you're not going for it? Um, to, honestly, to circle yeah. back, that was pretty evident. You guys beat Team USA this summer, and you could see that. Like, you guys were supposed to be the underdogs. I mean, people people came on Twitter with all kinds of excuses. Like, oh, there's a bunch of guys not playing. That's a solid roster they put together. Sure. And you guys went out there and beat them. And that was that was the show right there. Like, we're not just going to lay down. Australian basketball is here now. Talk a bit, a little bit about that experience and what that right. felt to beat those guys. Yeah, it was – I mean, that was a, that was a crazy experience. We, we went out and we played against Canada and Perth. And Canada had some NBA guys on their roster, but they weren't they weren't anything special. There was a lot of a lot of like top Euroleague level guys and a couple of NBA dudes thrown in the mix there. And we lost to them. Uh, at the time, we weren't playing with our full roster. Like we kind of had we had four guys rotating. You know, two were playing one game, the next, and then two were playing the next. So we lost to them. We got smacked by them the first game, and I think that really like woke us up a little bit. And then we we beat them that second game. Uh, still with like you know missing two of our key pieces. We go down to Melbourne. Uh, we feel like we're starting to gain some traction together and like figure each other out. And I think that's one of the biggest thing, things people sleep on is like whilst you know everyone was saying yeah you know America just threw threw to, together like a bunch of scrubs. First off, they're not scrubs. Like they're borderline all stars. They're just not the all stars. And so you guys put get put together a team. You know we also put together a team that wasn't. Like, that wasn't our 18 by a country mile. We were missing, like, five pieces as well. So people can make all those excuses, but, like, we had, we had like, six new guys on that team who were still figuring each other out as well. So to go out there and to play against a bunch of guys like, you know, Team USA put out on the floor, I was, I was going up against some really, really good guys, like, at my position. Like, I mean, Kyle Kuzma, that first game, gave me buckets. He was killing me, but... Like, just, like, being able to defend him on, like, a few, like, you know, majority of the game and whatnot, like, and, like, go up against him and then play how I played against, like, that team. Like, that gave me a lot of confidence. But, like, for our team, that was a huge step in the right direction of, like, beating that squad because, I mean, once we beat them and then we went over to China and we just started rolling, like, it was a massive... I think the media had a lot to do with it as well, of like, just a massive confidence injection into our squad that, like... Hey, like these guys are like these guys are the ones to beat, and like we can really, really do it. So that I think that really sparked like a big momentum. That's big time, us. man. Um, if you could give your yeah. younger self any advice, just or another kid that's like you, maybe not necessarily playing at the AIS, just kind of relatively unknown with a little bit of potential. What would you tell that kid, or what would you tell your younger self to get to the point where you're at now in the journey? 
I just, I'd say, like, just don't believe all the hype of, like, just, yeah, don't believe all the hype of, like, the AIS and, like, you know, uh, like, the, the kids who are spoken about at that age. Like, I mean, I came onto the scene, like, late, late. Like, it was, like, a month before I went to college, I went and did, uh, like, the national team thing, and, like, I still wasn't even that great at that point. And, like, when I signed with, with St. Mary's, there was so much talk around, like, the basketball community out here. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Like, how is he getting this, but my son's not getting it or something like that? Like, how's he getting that scholarship, but my kid's not getting that scholarship? So I just – I would say to, like, all those people that, like, man, it really doesn't matter what the kids at that age are like. Like, you've still got so much to learn at that point that, like, even if you don't feel like you have a career in it, like, you, you definitely could and – it all comes down to hard work. Like if you're willing to just put in the hours, get out there and grind every single day, like it's like there's there's no doubt in my mind that anyone can get to the level that they want to get to. So like there I, I there are so many names of guys who uh who were miles ahead of me at that age, but they just get like people at that age get content so easily, right? Like they lose that hunger for, you know, pushing themselves to find find the level that they want to get to because they're constantly just being like blown smoke at so like for me I never got any of that attention even when I and I did fall into that at one point like at the end of my freshman year I remember we lost that game to Portland in the WCC tournament yep. right yeah that was a tough one was. we flew yeah we flew back to St. Mary's that night we got all us freshmen or the younger guys who were returning go into the locker room that night and coach just like he just like kills us for like 30 minutes. But he said the only guy he had confidence in that would play at a high level next year was me. And I got, I got cont- at that point, I got content. I was like, man, this is a lock. I've already got this starting position. Like, I want to be a go to guy, blah, blah, blah. And so I came home and, you know, uh, I didn't really take things as seriously as I could have. So I actually blew out again after losing a bunch of weight at the end of my freshman year, had a bad sophomore year, and then I got, like, I found that hunger again. And, you know, it's been a ride since then. But, like, I would just say to them, like, don't believe the hype of, like, all the young young guns because that, that stuff doesn't mean anything at all. Like, you do your real maturing and development from, like, 18 to, like, 20, 22, I'd say. So... My my advice to myself or to any young gun would just be a young kid is don't believe the hype of, like, you know, people saying this kid's going to make it, he's going to make it, he's not. Like, that stuff doesn't mean anything. No That's it. I got to agree with that, man. There's a lot a lot more to be attained if you keep at it. I don't think I, I really hit my my peak until I was already a pro. I mean, and I, you can see this. You can say the same for you. Like, the development should continue – as long as your body will allow it to, um, and along that same vein, yeah, how how have you been so able much. to how have you been able to stay yeah. healthy in order to make sure that you're learning about your body? I mean, we've talked about a couple of small nagging injuries and stuff like that, but what kind of investment have you made to really learn about what it takes for your body to play at this level? Hey, uh, you just got to be willing to ask ask questions like I don't really care who it is what level of uh like professionalism they're at like I'm always asking questions and trying to learn about the body because 
I mean, it really is your longevity, and like you need you need this thing to stay healthy. Uh, you know, if you want to make a career out of it. Uh, so for me, I've just always just asked questions, like read, and I didn't do any kind of like sports science degree like I, I really didn't do anything but just through being around these professional environments and asking people questions and figuring out little techniques like I don't think there's necessarily always going to be a right answer but it's just a matter of what works for you and you just got to listen to listen to your body as best you can and like figure out like what works for you so like for me I have not figured everything out at all like you know I'm still trying to figure out how to balance like my all my leg you know, joints and stuff like that to keep them as healthy as possible. But a lot of it's mental, man. Like you got to be, you got to be mentally tough to be able to, you know, to stick with it. Because when one thing doesn't work, you can't really just get complacent. You got to be like, all right, well, now I got to go find the next thing that works. So it's just investing time. Like it, you know, as I as we spoke about earlier, if you're obsessed with this profession and this lifestyle, like. I I just enjoy learning about that stuff, and a lot of guys get bored of it and sick of it, and they just give up. But I mean, I'm I'm fully obsessed. So like, I, half my time at home is spent like just figuring out what works for me and listening to podcasts and listening, you know, talking to a specialist or whatever, just trying to figure out what really works. And once you can kind of get as close to the perfect on that, like, I think mentally, uh, you know, mentally, mentally and physically, you can stay checked until you're like 35. That's real. Least. Jock, I appreciate it, brother. I think uh, I think you got a lot of great things coming your way. Really proud of you, man, just to see all the progress that you've made since that freshman year. Um, we're going to take this and keep it moving forward, man. Good things in store for you. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Appreciate it, kids.